a lot of kids I know go through uh, what we might call a Lego phase. And so it's a phase, maybe you went through this, uh, a phase where you just, you love Legos. All you can think about is Legos. Uh, I feel like most kids go through some type of time when they can't wait to get Legos, can't wait to build them, can't wait to put them together. And, and it makes sense. Uh, Lego company knows what it's doing. Uh, I mean, there's something really great about those different pieces and gathering together, putting them together, how great it feels to fit them together, how much they feel meant to fit together, um, which is why it's so frustrating to, to deal with the knockoffs. Mega blocks, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's knockoff companies that try to do what Legos does, and, and there's, they, they have some cool things, but it doesn't quite fit, right? <laughs> you have to almost like hammer it in. <laughs> you sometimes you feel like you gotta glue it together, right? It's, it's, it's not working. Um, Lego company has this way of building things that it just feels good, right? It feels right. It feels like they're supposed to fit together. It's supposed to result in something that's cool once it's built. And you realize all the different pieces that were there, they fit together. They're meant to fit together and create this wonderful thing. And so that's my commercial for Lego company. If Lego's watching right now, I'll expect those royalty checks at some point. Um, but... I, Really, and using this illustration, what I'm trying to sort of convey is this, this sense of what it is to come together and fit together. And that's really this whole series, isn't it? Uh, I've been using this sort of language that, that the way the Bible talks about God is that we should understand God as someone who wants to be with us. And if I can sort of add to that, that God and humanity meant to sort of be together, but almost, if I can add one word to it now, we're meant to fit together. That we were intentionally designed by God to just naturally fit in a way that feels great, that results in something wonderful and beautiful. And there's two parts of that I want to sort of highlight. That number one, we are meant to fit together with God. Humanity was meant to have no separation between us and God, no division between us and God. For us to fit together with God in a fellowship forever of, of love and joy and peace, all of who God is, we were meant to fit together with God, to naturally fit together with God. But let's add more to this. That's not the only thing. The original setup of the world is we were meant to fit together with one another. If you think about this, the original design of, of human race, if we're meant to fit together with God, not just be with God, but fit together with God, that naturally means humanity, the human race, was meant to naturally fit together with each other. I want to suggest that human beings were not meant to be divided in, in constant conflict along social, ethnic, class, national, local lines. Now, that's not to say like God was going to make us all uniform. I think the testimony of scripture is God intended humanity to be as diverse as it is, right? To have all these different expressions and et cetera that we have. The difference though is that God intended our different diver uh, expressions expressed in all sorts of national or local lines along gender, along race, ethnicity, class, all those different expressions were not meant to be in constant conflict with one another, to divide us from one another. We were meant to fit together. In the same way we were designed to fit together with God, we are meant to fit together with one another, make this beautiful mosaic that, guess what, reflects the God who made us. So that's the original setup of the world. Uh, what we've been seeing in our series is that sin breaks us up. Sin causes us to be divided from God, and so we're not naturally drawn to God. We're, we're, we don't listen to God. We sin against God. We're separated from God, so we're not fitting together with God in the ways that we're supposed to. But also, sin divides us from one another. So the differences, rather than being beautiful expressions that we see, okay, we have differences, but I see how we can fit together. 
We see them like, oh, we have differences we can't fit together. There's no way we can fit together. They divide us and separate us from each other. And so we see these divisions between us and God, among one another. We're not fitting together in the way that God intended. God, fortunately, is a God who says, I'm going to make a fix. So that's what we've been seeing. God bringing about a plan to bring us back together with him. Again, as I've been saying, to bring us back together in a way that we fit together with him and with one another. There's some temporary fixes. And God says, I'm still going to want to be with you. And we saw that through these last couple of weeks. Some temporary fixes to allow God to be with us, to demonstrate what it could be like and give us sort of anticipation and desire for more. So there's the tabernacle, of course. Uh, there's the temple. What we see, though, those are Band-Aids, right? This is not the full deal. <laughs> They're not the full expression of what we need. They provide something, but it's limited. It's not what it should be. The tabernacle and the temple aren't really full expressions of us really being with God and with one another in all the ways we need to be and are supposed to be. And what we'll see this morning is sort of one last attempt at it, Herod's temple. And once again, we'll see almost from the jump, uh, this, is, this is a Band-Aid. <laughs> it's inadequate. Um, it's less than what it should be. And yet the people are focused on the temple. They're all about the temple. What I want you to see this morning as we talk about Herod's temple is how God, during this time period, is finally bringing, bringing the final answer, the real fix, what really is going to make it possible for us to be with God, to fit together with God, and to fit together with one another. So uh, some back, quick sort of background to get us to where we're, we're going this morning. Last week, looked at Solomon's temple, impressive like blinged out with gold and everything else. But almost immediately we see like it's not good enough. The people pretty quickly, I mean, even during Solomon's reign, the guy who built the temple, they quickly fall away from God, sin against God. So many kings later, many instances of, of Israel not listening to God, not following God. Eventually the Babylonian empire comes in. They basically wipe the place out. They destroy the temple. They carry the Israelite people, the Jewish people, into exile, into Babylon. And that's the case for many centuries. Eventually, the Jewish people are able to come back to their land. They're able to come back to Palestine. And they build a new temple, but it's like a poor man's version of the temple. Uh, it's, it's not anywhere near what Solomon's temple is supposed to be. Long story short, the area goes through a lot of turmoil. A lot of different people come in and conquer uh, the area of Palestine. Alexander the Great at one point, then one of his generals takes over. And there's all these different people who are coming in, conquering Palestine, ruling over the Jewish people. Eventually, everything settles when the Roman Empire comes. The Roman Empire basically conquers the whole world, the whole known world. They conquer Palestine, Judea, Jerusalem, and they set up a nobleman named Herod to be king over Palestine. The guy we know as Herod the Great, right? And Herod the Great begins this massive sort of remodel, massive reconstruction of the temple. And what is built is, we, is often called, the scholars call it the second temple. This is the temple that was around during the time of Jesus the temple that was around during New Testament times. So let's sort of take a look at it and see some of the, some of the things are the same and some of the things are different. Uh, the Temple Mount is, is really what it became known as. This place is massive. 34 acres could have held more than 24 football fields. Three times the size of Solomon's Temple. So you can see that the Herod's Temple is the, the one, the box that's in blue at the top there. You can see it's, got, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. American football field is sort of, to be a sense of the dimension, that's at the bottom there. And Solomon's temple in the tabernacle in comparison. Sort of another look at it here. That, I mean, Solomon's temple was impressive, right? Herod's like, I can do better. And so you see sort of the hugeness, the, the vastness of this temple. It's really it almost like a temple complex. Um, this is what it would look like if you were living in Jerusalem. I mean, you couldn't miss it. 
right? This massive thing that Herod sort of wanted to, well, I mean, Herod built to say, look, look what I can do. <laughs> look what I can build. Uh, there's a lot of new additions to this temple. Uh, there's a lot of different courtyards and porticos around the sort of the, the perimeter of uh, the actual temple building. A lot of new walls and gates. I don't, you can't quite see it, but off sort of to the top right, there's a new fortress. That's where the Roman soldiers stayed, just in case you know, anything popped off, they're going to come right in. So there's a, there's a fortress right next to the temple. At ground level, here's another sort of perspective on it as well, uh, what it would look like to sort of if you had an aerial view of Herod's temple. If you're at ground level of the temple, here's what it sort of felt like. I mean, you'd have walked in and instantly seen it and, and been awed by its presence. You would have not seen anything bigger anywhere nearby than this temple. Inside of it, and this is not the greatest picture, but um, inside the temple is basically similar to Solomon's temple. Uh, bigger, though, than Solomon's temple. But some similarities. Uh, there's a, the Holy of Holies, right? There's also the Holy Place, where we've talked about the last couple of weeks. There's storerooms on either side of the temple building, just like Solomon's temple. Uh, there's a couple of things that he's changed, though. There's uh, only one lampstand now. Solomon had ten. There's only one. There's only one golden table with the bread of presence on there. Um, there's now a curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. Um, so, and no more windows inside the, the Holy Place as well. So a couple different changes there. Um, as I said, it's more of a temple complex than anything else. And so this aerial view sort of gives us a sense of you have the main temple building that's there, the, the highest building that's there in the center of that picture. But all around there's different courtyards now where different people could come and go, right, depending on who you were. So one courtyard that we should point out is that sort of the one that's written, the outside courtyard that's, that's around there. Here's a sort of another perspective on it as well. Uh, you see where all those sort of little dots are. That's Imagine those are people. Imagine they're on either side of the temple building. That was called the Court of the Gentiles. Large open area. Uh, it's bordered by um, pillared uh, porticos, they're called. So you notice those columns that are around there. Imagine like a long hallway that has pillars on either side. So you have that all around the perimeter and then a courtyard formed out of that. If you were a Gentile who believed in the Jewish religion, that's where you could go. That's where you went to worship. Uh, here's the thing, you couldn't go further. You couldn't get any closer to the temple building. This is as far as you could go. Jewish people could enter into the sort of temple complex itself. You see that red arrow there. Um, that's, where, that's as far as they can go. And that, that place was called the court of the woman. Here's a different perspective on it there. It's called the court of the woman because all Jewish people could go there, but Jewish women couldn't go further than this. This is as far as the Jewish woman could go for worship. There's one more courtyard. Here's an aerial view of it. Uh, and that's right next to the temple building, right? And this was called the court of Israel. Only priests and only Jewish men could go here. Uh, so the priests, you see that place that, that has the yellow, that's the, the altar. So that's the altar where the sacrifices happen. So Jewish men could come and watch the sacrifices uh, as they brought them. Um, <clears throat> there's also... Remember I talked about that basin for, for washing. We had that there as well. So again, some similarities there, but differences here. This is different from how the temple was built. It's different from how the tabernacle built. You see all these different places where only certain people could go. So that's Herod's temple. Uh, there's the solution, right, for how God and human beings can be together, how God can be with his people. And immediately, just me even just going through this, I think you can see that, that doesn't feel like God being with his people, does it? The biggest impression we get from Herod's temple, I think, is separation and division. It's all about that, isn't it? You've got Gentiles, Gentiles who believe in Yahweh, the Lord God, and they can only go as far as the courtyard. And 
you should know that courtyard is where over time it became like, well, people need to come offer sacrifices. Here's a great place to set up a, like a, a marketplace, a farmer's market of animals to sacrifice. So imagine you're a Gentile believer looking for a quiet place to pray and worship God. You come into this courtyard where there's people yelling and, and, and bartering, all these things happening. This is the place where Jesus came in and was like, what's going on here, <laughs> right? But that's, his, that's the best that Herod would offer a Gentile believer. You can only come as far as the courtyard. If you're a woman, you could, it's a little bit better, right? You could go into the sort of inner temple building, but there the men set up a division. You can't get as, you can't go close to the altar. This is as far as you can go. Jewish men could come closer, but they can't enter the temple building. They got to stay outside. Priests, well, they can enter the temple building, but here's something to, to point out. They're entering into a building that's actually empty. Here's, here's something I didn't mention before. The most central part of the temple all along, the central part of the tabernacle, you remember what this was? was the Ark of the Covenant. God says, build this Ark of the Covenant. It represents where my throne room enters into human reality. Here's where you're going to meet with God. Here's where you're going to provide atonement every year. For what we can tell, that place was empty when Herod built it. The reason we know this is when Roman, when Roman Empire first came in to conquer Palestine, one of the generals, he, I, he saw that temple, he's like, I want to see what's in there. So he goes in there goes all the way into the Holy of Holies, and he writes, I didn't see anything there. And you can imagine, he's like, what is this? You built all this, and it's empty. It's empty. Now, Jewish tradition, way later on, has suggested that maybe they built, like, a, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, so they could still do the sprinkling of the blood for the, the Day of Atonement. But that's like Jewish tradition. It almost sort of, like I said, there had to have been something there. The last known account we have is that there was nothing inside the temple building. So think about what that says. We're talking about a temple that's supposed to be, here's where God meets with people, and God has said, here's how that's going to happen. But by this point, many, 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 many centuries later, a temple is being built that has nothing in it. That's divided, that's, that's really more known for its separation and division. That's sort of separated, there's all the separation and division and all these rituals that are empty, that in fact are superficial. That aren't anywhere near where God originally had said and intended. And here's the thing, God's people should have realized, of course, this place is going to be empty. Of course, God's not going to be here. Because back in the Old Testament, back during the days of Solomon's temple, the prophet Ezekiel has this vision. He has a vision of the glory of God being in the temple, and God's basically saying, like, this is, place is so sinful, I'm leaving. And that vision of Ezekiel has is literally the glory of God leaving the, holy, the most holy place, going into the holy place and then leaving that, going into the courtyard, leaving that, and then leaving Jerusalem entirely. And from that point, we never hear about the glory of God entering into any temple that human beings built. They're building this temple, and yet God has already said by his prophet, I have left that place. It's not going to happen through here. So here's our question. Has God given up? <laughs> right? The glory of God has left the temple. They're still building temples, but God has already said, I'm not coming back to this place. So what do we do? What's the solution? Well, the reason God has done this is because God has said, look, it's time to move to the next phase of the plan. It's time to bring the real answer. God hasn't given up. What God has said is, look, I'm about us being together, God together with his people, but even more so fitting together with his people. And you know what the answer always was and always meant to be. It's at this point God says, I'm bringing Jesus. It's at this point that God comes to us in Jesus. God the Son comes. And I think it's interesting it's really important, the language that's used. So the last, you might say, we've heard about the glory of God being with his people. It's God leaving. 
But then in Matthew, we see an angel talking to Joseph in a vision. What does the angel say to Joseph? He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here is the language that we're looking for. Once the glory of God had left, we're saying, when is God going to come back? And God is saying, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not going to be a physical building anymore. We already, I already was trying to show you that doesn't work. I need to come to you. And it's interesting, the book of Matthew begins and ends with this. It's like saying, I want you to understand, this is the new reality. This is, in fact, the new temple. The book of Matthew begins with, God's, with, Jesus, with, the, with the angel saying, Jesus is God with us. But notice it ends, Matthew 28, with this. Jesus says to them, I'm gonna, I want you, you to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. That's how you're going to make followers of Jesus. And here's Jesus' promise. Behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's Jesus saying, I will be with you. And me being with you means God is with you. God is supposed to be with us, and we're supposed to be with God. And Jesus is how we bring that about. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12, 6, he's talking to religious leaders, and he tells them something greater than the temple is here. How can Jesus say that? Jesus can say that. Only he can say that. It's because Jesus is the son of God. Of course he's greater than the temple. This is just a building with blocks and stone and wood and something called gold that has no value in God's kingdom. The value that we have, the benefit that we have is to have God with us, and that is Jesus. That's why Jesus can say something greater than the temple is here. It's because I'm here. And because of Jesus, we have direct access to God, full access to God, personal access to God. What Jesus does is break down all the barriers that were there before. And that's interesting. It's, it's almost what happens at the death of Jesus in Matthew 27. There's an account of when Jesus dies and we're told that the curtain in the temple tore. Right? It's funny to think about this. The temple tearing and revealing an open, empty room. It's always been empty. Right? But the, te- the curtain tearing when Jesus died is a physical representation of what the death of Jesus brought about spiritually for us. Jesus, in his death, breaks apart what is preventing us and has always prevented us from really fitting together with God and with one another. We're told in Hebrews 10, the significance of the death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, is that he opens up a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. So imagine, here's this curtain representing, yes, we can be with God, but there's always going to be separation and barrier. Yes, we're, we're together with one another, but we're always dividing and separating and the death of Jesus tears it apart and is saying his blood has opened this new and living way, a better way. This new and living and better way is one where we can say God is with us. And the reason God is with us is because God is in us. That is the new and better way. Jesus makes it possible for us now to fit together with God because Jesus makes it possible for God by his spirit to actually be in your life. And so we think of Jesus as the temple. What Jesus is essentially saying is I'm the temple and I'm bringing the temple to you so that you are the temple. That we are the place where God lives. Your life is the place where God lives. You believe in Jesus, you ask for his help. What happens is Jesus comes and because of what he's done on the cross, he's able to make your life one where God can fit into it. The holy of holies I was talking about, this holy, sacred place, guess what? The Bible says your life is now the holy of holies. The Bible says your life is the holy place where God can be. That Jesus makes it possible for God to fit in there. For us to fit together with God. For your individual life to have God fit in there. Yes, do I mean your regular average life can be a holy place where God is in? 
Yes. Do I mean your grimy, messy, messed up life can be a life that's holy where God lives? Yes. Do I mean you are maybe, you've got a dull, kind of unsuccessful life. Do I mean you've got a life that's full of sort of anxiety and sometimes you doubt all this stuff. Maybe you've got a life that is successful but is always stressful and you always got to kind of push and achieve and you're always wondering, will I ever make it? Those, all those kind of lives, whatever kind of life you live, can those kind of lives be a holy place where God lives? What's the answer, Roosevelt? Yes. Yes. And the reason I say yes is because of Jesus. Jesus makes it possible for any life, any life here to be a holy temple. For any life here to be a place where God lives, where God fits in. And the reason it's possible is because Jesus, as we said, he comes into your life. But because Jesus died, the significance of Jesus dying on the cross is that it frees up his perfect life to kind of overlay on top of your life. The Bible has this amazing language of us putting on Jesus. It's really important language because the, the secret to Christianity isn't so much make your life better. It's Jesus' life is better. Here, take it and put it on. And if you think about the life of Jesus, it's a perfect life. So, of course, the perfect God can fit in there. It's a holy life. So, of course, the holy and righteous God can live there. The life of Jesus is a life that comes into your life and over time it stretches it out. So it can be a life where God is there, the eternal living God. It's a life that's constantly cleaning your life up because, yes, you will continue to mess up. Yes, you continue to do all the different things to make your life not a holy place because Jesus comes and makes it possible for the life of God, the spirit of God to live there. It's a life where God can stay and will always stay. This should make a difference for how you think about your life, how you treat your life. Your world, or maybe your friends, not so good friends, <laughs> certainly your enemies, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your workplace, will tell you all, maybe it's yourself, will tell you all sorts of things about your life. Some good, some not so good. Some true, some not really true. <laughs> Here's at least one thing to put over all of it that rules over all those things. Your life is inherently sacred and holy and significant if you believe in Jesus. What Jesus does is take a human life and make it a holy place, one place that God can be, where God can fit into. Only because of Jesus can we talk this way. Your life, holy of holies, sacred. Think about your life that way. I want to encourage you to wake up in the morning if you've trusted in Jesus and say, that is my life. And because your life is that way, that makes a difference then for how you live your life. It means then what you can expect from your life is a life that can really be righteous. You can expect your life can really be holy and pure in the way that God calls it to. It does mean then that your life really can be free of addictions or bad habits or obsessions or pride or selfishness. Your life is not enslaved to those things because the life of Jesus is now overlaid on top of your life. It is possible and it will be possible and it will happen that your life will be more holy and righteous and pure the more you say, my life is not my life, it's the life of Jesus. And because it's the life of Jesus and because God by his spirit is there, it will shine with all his glory and all of his holiness. That's what makes it possible. That's what makes it possible for us now to talk about God being in our life. More so, God fitting into our life in a way that is tighter and closer than we ever thought possible. God is in each of us. Each life here is holy. Let me add to this, if I can. Jesus makes it possible for God to fit into our life like never before. But Jesus also now makes it possible, as I said in, in the beginning, it's not just about us fitting together with God. 
It now makes it possible for us to fit together with one another. That because of what God has done in and through Jesus, we can join together in a way that was not possible before. Again, here's the thing to realize. When we talk about Jesus coming to our lives, he comes to our lives and he brings God into our lives, but not just into your individual life. The Bible says Jesus comes into our lives also when we come together as a community. That there's something unique and special when the lives of different Christians, different believers, those who have believed in Jesus and have God in each of their lives come together. That God is, I want to say, more especially present when we're together as a community. It's not me just saying this. The Bible talks this way. That we tend to think mostly first, well, God is in my life. And that's true, but it doesn't stop there. If that's the only way you're experiencing God in your life, then you've missed it. The Bible says the real full expression is when God comes together in the church then. The local church becomes the place where God lives. That's ultimately what we're looking at here. And that's how we can talk about us fitting together with one another. Because God is in each of our lives and fits us together in that way. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. It says, Paul writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. A lot of people read that, that verse and think you, singular. It's not singular. It's plural. How do they say you all, right? Is they say in the South, right? That's what it is. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. You all. He's saying, do you not know that you all, the local church, are God's temple? The God by his spirit is in you all, right? You all us, the community. That's where God is. That Paul's emphasis isn't so much, and I would argue, so we read our Bibles way individually, and there's real true individual realities of what it means to believe in Jesus. But the trend of the Bible, most of the time, almost a majority of the time, is to say individually for the sake of family and community. That over and over the Bible is emphasizing to really understand what it is to be with God, you have to be together with other people. That it's... Well, let me actually read this verse before I go on. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. Not me, but we. Yes, me, but only me to the degree in which I'm connected to a we. We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they should be my people. This sounds really familiar, doesn't it? This is the way God was talking about the tabernacle and the temple. But here's where it was always ultimately ended, headed towards. Not a building, but a people. God's people. So when God, when we come together, God is present among us. And he's present among us in a way that then says, yes, it, we are connected together. We're united together. We can speak about fitting together because of what God has done to bring us together in Christ. We look around the world, there's division and separation. And if you think about Herod's temple, it mirrors that. So Herod's temple... Uh, has separation and division all over it, right? You have the Gentiles who can, the separation among ethnic gender, uh, ethnic and racial lines. The Gentiles can go into the temple courtyard, but only that far. We see separation among gender, right? Women, you can come into the, right by the temple building, but only this far. There's even separation along sort of class and social lines. One of the things that's worth mentioning is the priests back then were not selected based on their character or who they were. The Romans would select the priests. And so over time, you give enough money to, to, to the Roman governor, you can become a priest, right? It was based on money, about privilege and power. All that is happening around Herod's temple. 
So of course, you're seeing a people back then who weren't connected together as one people. They're divided in all these different ways. What Jesus does is flatten all the differences, remove the distinctions that would normally separate and divide. He doesn't remove them. He removes the parts of us that separate us and divide us from one another. So that instead of the jagged edges that we tend to be that push us from one another, he takes those differences and it's like he, he sands them together and makes them building blocks, lego blocks, if you can, if you will. So we fit together. Fit together, why? So that we can be the place where God works. The Bible says, yes, your life now is meant to fit together with other people. Because it's the life of Jesus, and Jesus, he, Jesus is an all-people kind of person. <laughs> your life is meant to fit together with other people so that we can have the fullest expression of what it means for us to be together with God and with one another. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22. Paul writes, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All that language there, being joined together, right? Joined together to be what? A holy temple in the Lord. Built on the cornerstone that's Jesus. So that where? What? We can be a place where God works. A dwelling place of God. You see in the back of our sanctuary, sort of a model that's been for our church. We want to be engaging all people with all of Jesus. And the significance of that for me, certainly, is that we find God to the degree in which we are trying to be people of all our different differences that are different but, yes, fit together. First Peter uses this language, that we are living stones being built up into the house of God. That means all of us, all the different peoples who are here, all the different peoples who gather together in churches are living stones being shaped by God to come together. And that happens to the degree in which we have all of Jesus in our lives, isn't it? I can't talk about all people coming together and being a place where God lives unless we have Jesus fully in us. But to be clear, Jesus has to do work to make us that way. That language that the, that's used here, this idea of being joined together, First Peter's language of us being a living stone, right, that, be, that are being, come to, being built together, the house of God, that's like active language. And it fits what things were like back then. When they built the temple when they built a lot of things back then, they weren't using mortar and cement to put things together. The way they brought building, sort of big, made these buildings, these big blocks, and put them together, the way they did that was by shaping the stones. You had to shape and save, shave the stones down so that they would lock into place. So if you go, you, you can see parts of, uh, you can see at least the Western Wall, right, if you go to the Holy Land today in Palestine or in Israel, and you see the wall there, and it's, it's lasted for centuries. How is it lasting for centuries? Just huge blocks. Those blocks aren't held together by cement. They're held together because those big blocks were intentionally shaped so they would fit together and make be a wall that's lasted now for centuries. The Roman Empire actually tried to destroy that wall. They couldn't. The, wall, the blocks were too big and they fit together too well. The Bible uses this language to say something about what it is for us to be fit together with God and with one another. It's to say, this happens through the work of Jesus and for that full reality to happen, Jesus has got to continue to shape us and mold us. So Jesus shapes us and mold us so that we fit together and become the dwelling place for God. So if we're going to do this thing, this thing the Bible calls a church, this place that is, the, that is now the temple of God, where God lives, if we're going to do this thing, we have to understand we come into this recognizing that God 
puts the life of Jesus on us so his spirit can be in each individual lives, but then now shapes and works us as we come in close proximity with other people, shapes us and remolds us so that we can fit together. Don't become a Christian if you're not willing to accept that kind of work. Be a Christian is to come together with community, with people, so that you can experience a glorious reality, what it is to have God in your life. But that requires change. That requires change and in, 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 in a, in a shaping of your life, and you have to be accepting of that work. You have to be willing and expect God to work in your life such that you come together and are able to fit together with other people. That's the secret, really. That's the secret to being how a community can be formed of different types of people from different backgrounds and cultures and all these different things. The secret to this is Jesus is daily, weekly, all the time shaping your life, shaping my life so it fits together with other people. Let's be honest, most people don't come into communities looking to be changed. Most people come into communities to find other people like them so they can stay the same. When I go to a football game, a Jets football game, I'm not looking to see other people wearing other uniforms, <laughs> right? right? We yell at them, we throw stuff at them, right? They're not supposed to be there, right? I come there to find other people wearing the same thing I'm wearing, right? People come into a CrossFit gym and not expecting to see people, you know, uh, gorging McDonald's, right? <laughs> Expect other people to be there ready to do what all of us are there to do, right? And that makes sense. Communities tend to form stronger and better when we're all doing the same thing. We're all looking the same and acting the same, except for one community. The church is different. And the reason it's different is because Jesus, in a miraculous way, has made it so that you can come and fit together with other people in a way that is beautiful and glorious and majestic and awesome, but God's got to change you. God's got to change you. I have to be willing to have the, the differences and the pins that other parts of me be shaved down in some cases. And some parts need to go away. Other parts, it needs to be refined so that rather than being a jagged edge, I'm a building block. Able to be fit together with other building blocks to create something that I could not create on my own. The temple of the living God. His church. In a way that when we trust Jesus in this, and that's the, the invitation I think in all this, isn't it? It's an invitation to see your life the way Jesus sees it now. It's holy and righteous because of what God has done in through, even through Christ. But then to accept the change Jesus has got to do so that it fits together with other people such that we now say God is among us. And the result is it's like we're on the doorstep of heaven. At its best, your life together with other lives, it feels like being at the doorstep of heaven. When you're in a community in place where you're fitting together with other people, you would not expect and experiencing love and grace and truth and beauty, and all the different things that make the best community, but you're experiencing it in a way that you never would have expected. You're experiencing what it is for God to be among us. The original plans of God. Fitting together with God and fitting together with one another. This is the work of Jesus, isn't it? This is only what Jesus can do. So let's pray that we would trust him more for that. Let's pray that we would see what he sees and accept the change that he brings with the result being the beauty of God, the glory of God in and through our midst. Amen.